in your Bible, Philippians, and we're going to start off in chapter 2. Now, we have sort of titled this series, calling it One Thing, and here's why. The book of Philippians is all about one thing, and that one thing is a person, and it's Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we get into chapter 1, and if there is a theme verse, I'm going to read it again, which we've been reading each week. It is Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, and then I'm going to explain how what we've learned so far moves us into chapter 2, and we're going to walk through chapter 2 together, okay? So Philippians 1, verse 21 says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. How about we read it together? Would that be cool? Let's just read it together. It's on the screen if you need. If you got your Bible, go ahead and read it there. Philippians 1, 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. All right. Now, it's very important to understand who is saying this. For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It's good. It's, be- it's, it's better. This is the Apostle Paul. And he's sitting, where is he sitting? Give me some feedback. Y'all been learning this? He is in jail. Does anybody want to be in jail right now? Anybody? Yeah, teenagers always want to raise their hands for questions like that. I remember, I was probably the one that raised my hand. I do. Uh, Listen, Paul is in jail. But the point of Philippians is that life is all about one thing. If you're a believer, if you know Jesus as your Savior, There's only one word, one person that should define all about who you are. Your whole life, every bit of your life. And it's Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. My life is all about Christ. And it's clear that that is true no matter where you are. Uh, And it's made so clear because Paul is in prison. He is in this terrible prison underneath of a terrible ruler. And he's, uh, it's not only no matter where you are, it's no matter what's happening. Christ can be your life. Because he's, he's in prison, but he's chained to a guard. He's under house arrest. He's facing death, right? Y'all are in so much better shape than Paul was. Uh, y'all are sitting in air conditioning. It's working tonight. It's on. Uh, listen, you, you guys are doing good. Y'all are dressed. You have clothes on. How many of you ate lunch this afternoon? How many of you ate dinner before you came? Anybody going out for dinner after church? All right, you guys are doing great. Doing great. But Paul is here in prison, chained to a guard on house arrest. And he says still, for to me, to live is Christ. Now, let's move in to Philippians chapter 2. But before we get into it, can we pray and just ask God to help us understand Uh, Help us to apply the scriptures and and make some sense of this tonight, okay? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you have given us your word. Uh, God, I'm glad for the Apostle Paul. And Lord, it's incredible his story and his testimony of being in jail and having such a positive spirit uh, and an attitude where he's not so focused on his problem, but he's, he's so focused on you. And even more than that, uh, he's focused on what you want him to do, and that's share the gospel. And I pray that you'd help us in here uh, to, Lord, catch that spirit uh, of 
our lives being all about you. I pray, God, that you would help us catch that attitude and that sense of mission that our lives are all about what you want for us. And I I just ask you tonight, as we study your word, you'd illuminate the scriptures to us, you'd help us understand them and apply them to our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So even in the midst of circumstances, Christ can be the focus. We are without excuses. We don't have any excuses. Why is, you say, what is your life all about? Sometimes our life is all about our jobs, isn't it? I have, uh, it's great that uh, I get to work at the church. It's a privilege to, to do ministry. But even in ministry, sometimes ministry work can take the place of Christ being what your life is all about. We do that in our jobs. And, and so many things can distract us from Christ. But we're without excuse. But even in that um, having Christ be our life, that means our lives all have a central goal. And that's kind of where we left off last week. It's in Philippians 1.27. So Paul is talking about himself, how he's preaching Christ, how Christ is his life, and he, he's writing to the church, and he's encouraging them. Look in Philippians 1.27. He says, listen, church, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Meaning, live in a way that makes the gospel look good. Don't let your life look one way where the gospel is another way. You, you, ought, to, you ought to be a good fit for the gospel. Your life ought to shine the gospel. Uh, it says that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In Philippians 1, Paul, his personal goal is all about talking about Christ, sharing Christ with others. He's preaching to the people uh, there that are visiting him. He's preaching to the people in jail. He's preaching to the people he's tied to. He's preaching to everybody. His goal is Christ. Christ is coming out. So he's so focused on the mission. And he tells the church, listen, the goal that I have is your goal too. You know that? Our mission here at Fellowship is the same in Philippians 1.27, that we stand fast in one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're not here to uh, be on two different ends of a rope pulling against each other. We're to be on one side of the rope pulling together for the gospel. Does that make sense? We're all working together for the gospel, to get the gospel out, to represent the gospel well. That's what we're here for. Now we're going to see in chapter 2 that this idea of being together, standing fast in one mind, striving together, is carried over. So in Philippians chapter 2, here's how I'm going to explain this. The first section, which is going to be Philippians 2 verses 1 through 4, is going to be Christ our mind. If you want to take some notes, take some notes. I encourage you, okay? Get your pen out and stay awake. Uh, Christ, our mind, is going to give us an attitude uh, uh, of something that we should be portraying in our lives. The, the next section is going to be uh, from verse number 5 all the way down to verse number 11. And that's going to be Christ, our example. And then from verse 12, we're going to finish down in verse 18. That's going to be Christ, our mission. So it's all about Christ. We're going to see this mind we're supposed to have, and then we're going to see a clearly illustrated example of that attitude, that mindset, and then we're going to see that mindset put to action with Christ being our mission. You ready? 
Come on. I know it's like Baptist churches. Everyone just sits and stares at the preacher. Give me some feedback. If I say, are you ready? Yes, we're ready. Okay, good. We're ready. Good. Everyone have a pen? Taking notes? Probably not. Get your, get your phone out, but don't text. Just like take notes or something. All right, here we go. Christ, our mind. Let's go ahead and start reading. I'm going to read it. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read our passage and hop right in. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill, my, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Paul, he gets in here, he starts to make a little bit of a, he's starting to reason with the church. He says, hey church, I know you're Christians. He said, if there be any consolation in Christ. How many of you are in Christ? You define yourself as being in Christ, meaning you're saved. Yes, we're saved. He says, all right, you guys are saved. Is there any encouragement in that relationship you have with Christ, with the other believers? Is there some consolation? Is there some encouragement? Well, of course there is, right? We encourage each other all the time. It's built in to us being Christians. He says, okay, if there is any comfort of love, uh, we, we think about uh, our, our folks being in the hospital, uh, people being sick. Um, it's great to know that we have uh, people that care for one another. Yes, it's built in into the relationships we have because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Is there comforting care evident? Yes, there is. All right. So he said, good. All right. We got consolation in Christ. If there's any comfort of, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit. See, fellowship is one of those words where we're like, fellowship. Oh, that's our name. That's Fellowship Baptist Church. Well, what does that mean, fellowship? Does that that mean when you guys have a barbecue and you eat together? Is that fellowship? No, anybody can have a barbecue. Fellowship is is you have your relationship with God because you're born again of the Holy Spirit. God lives inside you. And I have my relationship with God. And we share that relationship together. That's what fellowship is. It's that mutual sharing of the, uh, this relationship we have because God's Spirit lives within us. And he says, is that happening in the church? Yes, it is. There's fellowship of the Spirit. There's a shared spiritual bond. Then he says, if any bowels... That doesn't mean, you know, bowels. That's an older word that means affection. It means love, like a passion for each other. We care for each other. It says, is that happening? Is that happening in this church? It is, all right. Uh, is there any mercies, he says? Well, that means sympathy toward one another. That means caring for one another. That, that mercy, that gift of hurting with one another. Yeah, it's happening in the church. It's built in because we have uh, this relationship, this bond in Christ. He says, all right, if those things are here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to fulfill ye my joy. He said, I want you to do something for me. Make me happy. So he says, I want you, here's what I'm going to ask for you to do. Do this. And he's going to call them to this mind of Christ. He's going to ask, ask them. He said, because you guys are a church, because you all have this special relationship together, you have to treat each other a certain way. There's a certain expectation with this relationship. Here's what it is. How should we treat one another? He's going to describe how Christians ought to love one another. Here's what he says. He says, fulfill you my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love. He says, you know what? In broad terms, you need to love one another another. Love one another. 
That's what he's going to encourage us to do, and he's going to make it really simple. Love one another. How do we do it? It says being of one accord. One accord means we have unity in spirit. There's something about our spirit, our attitude, that is just unified. And it's unified how? What's the book all about? It's all about Christ, right? Unity in our spirit of one accord. We're on the same page. He says, uh, be of one accord of one mind. That means we think the same. Now, do we all think the same? No. Some of you have hobbies that I think are weird. Some of you do things. How many of you are sports fans? Sports fans. I don't know anything about sports. I really don't. People, I've gotten really good, and I've probably done it with you. Uh, if somebody's talking about sports, and I'm standing there, I just say, yeah. I just shake my head and smile. Yeah. Hey, did you hear about? Oh, cool. You know, that's my answer. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. You know, whatever. I, I don't know anything about sports, but you do. Does that, does that mean we're not doing what the Bible says here? Of one mind. Realize we are all individuals. We are all different. We all have different things we like to do, things we don't like to do. Some of you um, like weird foods that I might not like. How many of you love sushi? Sushi is the bomb. Listen, if you don't like sushi, you're missing out, okay? We need to get on the same page here. Uh, Of one mind. What does that mean? That means of the same values and goals. The same values and goals. Uh, We took some time uh, as a pastoral staff, and we actually sent out a survey. How many of you remember getting a little survey? It was uh, beginning of the year, probably November, December time frame last year, so right before the year turned over, about what makes Fellowship Baptist Church Fellowship Baptist Church, meaning what do we all have in common? And uh, you gave feedback. We got so much feedback, and we came up with our core values, and we shared a lot of them last Sunday Um, And that's the idea, is that we have the same values, and we're not talking about political values. Uh, Listen, this is talking about the body of Christ, not not, uh, Christians in America. It's talking about the body of Christ. And listen, it's not the same political values. It's not the same, uh, you know, the sports team thing. It's the same values in Christ. We value things because they're valued in the Bible. We have the same values, the same goals. And Paul's encouraging us to do that, to be that way. Have one mind. Listen to this in verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. In your relationship with people in the church, let nothing. What does nothing mean? What? Hope a big zero. Nothing. It means nothing. Like there's nothing. Let nothing that you do in this church, not one thing, whether it's singing, serving, working, planning, attending, don't let anything you do be done through strife. It means no fighting. Listen, uh, I have three kids. I have a six-year-old, I have a four-year-old, and I have a two-year-old. And you know what they're good at doing? They fight. They just, they fight. They pick on each other. They, uh, they take each other's food. The other night we made... Uh, just a quick dinner, You're, you know, you take some hot dogs and you wrap them in crescent rolls. You ever had that with some cheese in there? The kids love those. All right, pigs in a blanket. If you haven't heard of it, it's like an American thing, okay? Pigs in a blanket, you got to try it. Well, the kids love pigs in a blanket and we're sitting there and Brock is, you know, he's eating a little slow just because he's enjoying his pigs in a blanket and the other kids are scarfing them down. And all of a sudden, Brock has two bites left on his plate and at the same time, Lana, 
and Graham take his pigs in a blanket. And it was like World War III broke out. And they went crazy. Uh, and he, he's crying and they're fighting. And they're like, uh, you know, we're saying, don't take his food. And they're like taking it out of their mouth and putting it back on the table. Listen, they were fighting. They're like little kids because they are little kids. But Paul had to encourage the church. He said, you are a family. We're a family here. Amen. There are things that either the person sitting next to you does that you're not going to like or somebody maybe behind you or somebody in another room. They're going to say something you don't like. They're going to do something you don't like. They're going to take your pigs in a blanket. But Paul says, you know what? We have to live a certain way. We have to have a certain mind because our goal is Christ. We're, we're on the same page. So I just want to remind you, we are on the same team. No fighting allowed, okay? That's why there's always that encouragement to go to one another when somebody sins against you. If you think somebody did you wrong, don't wait and just, uh, just let it fester. Go to that person and make it right. He says, no fighting. Nothing done through strife. No fighting. And he says, nothing done through vain glory. Vain glory is self-promotion. It's a look-at-me attitude. Nothing in the church should be done by you in a ministry and anything that you do and anything that you say so that people say, hey, look at me. Look at me. It's not a self-promoting organization, okay? We're not a family here to promote each other. We're a family here to promote Christ, right? And so it shouldn't be anything about look at me. No matter what you do here, it's not for self-promotion. Nothing for self-promotion. He goes on to say, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, this passage of Scripture is very practical. And uh, I just want you to think about it as we go through this. Every one of you is selfish. Do you know that? You are. You think about yourself all day long. You think about how you look. You think about how you can make yourself comfortable. You think about how others could serve you. You do. I know you do because you're fleshly. And that's why Paul needs to encourage us. He says, listen, in this family, we're not supposed to have our own mind. We're supposed to be of one mind, of one spirit. It's the mind of Christ. And that is a mind that it says, esteems others better than themselves. That means you consider others more important than yourself. Whew. Who's the most important in your life? Who? When you think about buying something nice, who do you think about buying it for? Probably yourself. When you think about what you're going to do next week or uh, what you're going to, anything, it's always about us. And Paul says, listen, if we're going to get this right, if we're going to be striving together for the gospel, the gospel-focused attitude, that Christ-centered attitude is one that says, you know what? I'm going to get my mind off of me and I'm going to put it on somebody else. I'm going to consider them more important than I consider myself. That would just change our whole world and we need to start to practice that. Verse number four, he says about this mind, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. It says, change your focus. Get your eyes off yourself. Put them on someone else. And that may mean 
uh, it, it really does. It starts at home. It always starts at home. That may mean uh, getting your eyes off of yourself and putting on your spouse. It may mean getting your eyes off of yourself and putting on your kids. It may mean getting your eyes off of yourself and what you want and putting on what someone else needs. It has the idea of being concerned for others. I know that it is so possible to have these people in our church that are hurting and you not even know about it because you're so wrapped up in whatever you're doing, because you're so wrapped up in your own life, because we're busy, right? We're, we're busy and we don't notice. But the calling of a family of God is to take our mind off of ourselves and to start to care, to start to look, to start to notice. Uh, you have to notice people. Uh, you have to look beyond their smile on Sundays. I said this morning, people, people come in and they are always smiling. No one wants to come into church and be crying all over the place and looking like a mess. But we, we feel that way on the inside and the people around us do. And so we need to be concerned about that. <clears throat> Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So this is the mind that Christ has. See, Christian love for one another is a call for unity. Okay? We're all pulling in the same direction. We're all going. Christ is our goal. Christ's mission is our focus. We want to share the gospel with others. But Christian love calls for selflessness. That's taking your sights off of you and putting it onto somebody else. Life is not about you, okay? We should say that out loud too. We're just going to say stuff out loud tonight because it's fun, okay? Ready? Teenagers, are you ready for this? We're going to say this. Life is not about me. Ready? Go. Life is not about me. Good. That's easy, right? Should we say it again so we remember it? Life is not about me. Listen, that's the whole purpose of this, that we're supposed to be of one mind, and that mind is not focused on ourselves, but too many times we are, so let's change that. Next, Paul is going to go into a very clear example of this mind. Say, so what does that actually look like? Can somebody really do that? Yes, they can, and Christ did it, okay? Let's look in verse number five. It says, let this mind be in you. Which mind? That selfless mind, that unity, that mind of getting your focus off yourself and onto others. Let this mind be in you. Man, I lost my, I never lose my place. I told, Pastor, I got that little Bible. I left my other Bible in the car. This is my baby Bible. Um, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. God. Listen, Jesus set aside his status. Jesus says, being in the form of God. The Bible talks about in Colossians that in Jesus dwelled all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus was God in the flesh. Do you understand that? He was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is that? That's Jesus. If anybody had the right to say, it's all about me. Do you know who it is? Jesus. But he, the Bible gives us this illustration that Jesus, he says, he was in the form of God. He was God. Thought it not robbery 
to be equal with God. Now, I got confused at that. I'm like, we're talking about selflessness and robbery? What are we talking about? You know, robbery is not selfless, right? (laughs) The idea is that he saw his position of God and he understood, like, it is my right to be God because I am. And the idea is that it's not something he looked at as something he needed to attain to. It's something he already had. His position was clearly, obviously his. That's what that means. He thought it not robbery uh, to be equal with God because he was equal with God. It says, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus, he set aside his status. And not only that, he, he chose a path of service. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not just going to set aside my godhood, my status. I, I, I'm going to become a human, but I'm going to serve the humans. I'm going to serve my own creation. That is a true illustration of humility. He chose a path of service. He humbled himself. Humble means to lower yourself, to make yourself less, okay? He humbled himself. The Bible says, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus experienced pain on the behalf of others. He gave up the comfort that he experienced in eternity past in heaven for you. Jesus regarded sinners more important than himself. Think about that. That was our encouragement. uh, Paul said, in lowliness of mind, verse 3, let each esteem other better than themselves. And the illustration, the example that we have is Christ. He said, you know what? I'm going to esteem my sinful creation to be better than myself. I'm going to put aside my comfort and I'm going to experience pain. I'm going to put aside all the injustices they've done against me I'm going to offer forgiveness. And he, he didn't look at himself. He looked at you and he looked at me. And we're extended this grace, this selflessness. We're extended this gift. And then we're told to give it back out to others. Understand? Jesus regarded sinners more important than himself. I don't want to skip over this part, but it's really interesting that Jesus, this great example is, He was the one that deserved to be exalted. He was the one that deserves to be worshipped. He deserves to be praised. We don't. We sin. The only thing that we actually deserve for the deeds that we do is hell. But listen, Jesus deserved worship. He deserved glory. But he gave it all up to set an example for us. But look what God did in response to that. Wherefore God also... Verse 9, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God took Jesus, Jesus, he willingly humbled himself and God took him and raised him up uh, to his rightful place where he ought to be. And... um, That is an incredible example of this selfless mind we ought to have. So we have Christ as our mind, okay? This attitude we're supposed to have. We saw Christ as our example. 
But there's more in the passage. I've got to finish. It's my job to preach through verse 18. All right, so we're going to do it. Are you ready? Where do we go next? Christ, our mission. Listen, that's, this whole passage, Philippians 1, I know our Bible has like lines and numbers that separate it, but it's a continuous letter. And Paul says, I'm preaching Christ, and I can do it, you can do it. I can do it in any place. I can do it in any circumstance because he's worthy. He's worth it. And he says, as a church, listen, it's not about you. It's about others. It's look on everybody else. Don't consider your own things. Consider others. Why are we supposed to do that? Well, one reason is because Christ did it. He was our example. All right, so we're just supposed to treat others kindly. I get it. But what else is there? That's where verse 12 comes in. Paul says, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much, man, I'm really struggling, but now much more in my absence. He said, all right, guys, I remember when I was there, and I encouraged you with the truth, and you responded to the truth. How many of you have ever felt God speaking to you? You've heard his voice through scripture, through preaching. And you remember, without a doubt, you enthusiastically, passionately obeyed whatever he was telling you to do. How many of you have been there before? Been there before. I hope everybody's been there before. God's told you to do something. Go pray about this. Change this in your life. And you did it. That's what he's saying here. He says, listen, I was there and I was encouraging you to live out this life for Christ and you did it. He said, now I'm not there. And even more so, you ought to double down now that I'm not there. Why should we do that? He says, uh, in my absence, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let me explain that passage. Uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You say, work out, work out. I thought salvation was by grace alone, through faith, and it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Is that true? Amen. That's exactly true. This work out is not the idea of working for it's not working for your salvation. It's working out. Get it out. It means take it from the inside and get it out. Work out. It's, it's from the word energy. And in the next verse, there's another word, the word work. And it's from that uh, root word energy, uh, energeo. And it's a Greek word. And it means that God's energy. He says, work out your salvation. Uh, verse number 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Both to will, that means to want, and to do. Listen, there's a clear job to do. The job is what Paul was doing, and it's the same job we have today. We're supposed to get out of here, and we're supposed to open our mouth, and we're supposed to talk to people about Christ. And so many times we're here, and I get that, and so many times we're caught up in our own selves. And Paul's saying, don't be caught up in your own selves. Be caught up in other people's lives. Be concerned about others. Then he says, work out your salvation. It's that, give it some energy. That means get it out. It says with fear and trembling. And I tried to understand this passage. And the best I could come to understand, with fear and trembling. Sometimes we take scripture lightly. Sometimes we take scripture as suggestion. Sometimes we take the commands of Christ as like, all right, I like that one, but that one it just doesn't fit in my life. It doesn't work out. It just doesn't fit in what I'm doing. There's this very clear attitude when Paul speaks that he takes Christianity very seriously. 
he takes his beliefs, uh, he takes his salvation very seriously. And, and there, I know he's not saying, because it doesn't line up with other scripture, that you're to work for your salvation. But he does say, listen, there is no time as a Christian just to be lukewarm. There's no time as a Christian just to be blah. Okay, there's, there's not time for that. He says, in the fear of God, in the sight of God, he said, you should take it seriously. With fear and trembling, work it out. Get going. Make a change. It's like pastor preached this morning. There's a repentance that takes place. There's a change that happens, and there ought to be that energy that comes out. And it's not our energy. It's God. Verse 13 said, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If you ever have an urging in your heart to pray for somebody, if you ever have an urging in your heart to share the gospel with somebody or give an encouraging word or ask a person at work if you could pray for them, listen, your flesh, in your flesh dwells no good thing. Your heart is deceitful above all things. So if you've got something inside of you that's saying, pray, you can mark it down. It's not your flesh telling you to pray. Your flesh is saying, eat that donut or something like that. Your flesh is saying, like, be angry. Uh, but if you have something that tells you to pray, if you know it's not your flesh. You know it's not Satan. So who is it? It's the Spirit of God working in you to will, to want, and to do of his good pleasure. And that's what we need to respond to. He says, work it out. Let it come out. He says, God is wor- he's working in your heart. He's asking you to do things. Sometimes you just need to act on what God is asking you to do. Wait, every time that God is asking you to do something, you should act on it, not sometimes. Well, I gotta watch what you say up here. Um, You should always do what God's asking you to do. Now listen to this. He's talking about our mission. Verse 14. Ay, ay, ay. Let's read this one together. Are you ready? Here we go. Do all things without murmurings, and disputings. Read it again. Do all things without murmurings or disputings. What does that mean? You can't mark it. Listen, there is no excuse in Scripture you can just pass over because you don't know what the words mean. Anyone ever do that before? I don't know what that means. I'm going to pass over it. That is not an excuse. It's in there. Figure out what it says. Do all things without murmurings. That means complaining. Complaining. Just voicing your opinion about how this isn't good or that's not good. Uh, complaining and disputing, that arguing. He, he's reminding them again, we're unified. We have a goal. It's serious. It's before God with fear and trembling. It's something that God's working in us to do. And if God's calling us to do it, there's no room for complaining. And there's no room for arguing. It just doesn't work. It, that complaining and arguing is opposite of the mission. And it's, it's so important he says that. It almost feels like it's thrown in there, but it's not. It's in there on purpose. God put that in there. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. All things. Now, all things doesn't just mean things at church. It applies when you leave here too, okay? It applies at all times. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why? Why am I going through all this trouble? to purposely, intentionally take my eyes off of myself and put it on others. Figure out what others, what's going on in their life. Why am I going through all this trouble not to complain, not to argue, to share the same values with others, to care for one another? He says, verse 15, 
that ye, that, so that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. He says, these things are so important. I'm encouraging you this because of Christ, because of the mission, because we're striving together for the faith of the gospel. He says, you are, if you do these things, you need to be blameless and harmless. Nobody should be able to point a finger at you and, and, and tarnish the name of Christ. It's that letting your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ. You ought to make the gospel look good. You ought to make Christ look good. We're his ambassadors. Do you know that? The day you get saved, you get a new job. Your job is ambassador. You are a representative of Jesus Christ to every person around you. That's why there's no room for complaining. Just think, if you're the one lone Christian in your workplace and you're the complainer, you're the worst complainer, uh, the one that always fights with the boss, and you're completely ineffective. You, you have totally missed the point of being there. You have a mission everywhere you go as a representative of Christ. And that's what he's saying. Listen, you are the sons of God without rebuke. Listen, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. It's the same illustration that we've been learning through the book of Acts. Is that the Holy Spirit comes in and he indwells us so that we can shine. So that it can come out. So that we can work it out. There ought to be this shining, and the shining doesn't happen with the complaining, okay? Um, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Uh, as I was studying this, uh, this phrase, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, I read this phrase. Uh, this is just a commentary. It says, the proper place for God's people is among the lost. The proper place for God's people is among the lost. Maybe the encouragement for you tonight from this scripture, because Paul was telling this church to do it, he says, you know what? You're not supposed to run away from the world and never talk to anybody that's not a Christian. You are supposed to be a light in the midst. That means in the middle. Smack dab in the middle. So important. Right in the middle of your workplace, you're supposed to shine as a light because you're the son of God the daughter of God, in your school, at your work, wherever you're at, you are the, the light that shines in the midst. That's our encouragement. That's our mission. Christ is our mission in the midst of the lost. Verse 16, what do we do as a light in the midst? Holding forth the word of life. Holding forth... Uh, Sometimes we have that idea. Holding forth the word of life just means we hold up our Bible and everyone looks at it and gets saved or something like that. It's not just, it's not, we're going to hold up the Bible. That word holding forth is the word offering, giving. Wherever you go, there is a message that you need to give. There's something we need to give. And so, I'm telling you, so many times I do it. And I'm, this message is preaching to myself is when we go somewhere, we like try and tuck our head down and avoid people. We need to be with the people, in the midst of people, offering something to them. It's the word of life. It says, Paul says, I want you to share the word of life. I want you to share this message of Christ, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. 
This is getting, this is a personal letter. This, this pastor, this evangelist Paul, he was there and he worked. He probably went door to door, knocking on people's doors. He probably went and saw them wherever they were at and he talked to people and he worked to share the gospel. And he says, listen, when I get to heaven, I don't want all my work to be wasted. That's what he says here. He says, please do this so that my labor is not in vain. He said, I don't want to get to heaven and all my work be wasted. How would his work be wasted? It would be wasted if the church is always arguing. It would be wasted if the church is not working toward the mission. It would be wasted if the church is not in the midst of the people, the crooked and perverse nation. It would be wasted if they're not offering the message. You see, he says, listen, if you're going to be successful as a church, if you're going to do what you're meant to do, you've got to be out. Work out your salvation. God is helping you. God is there. And this is our mission. Christ is our mission. He says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. He said, you know what? I may lose my life in this thing. He was facing imminent death. He said, you know what? But I'm going to joy and rejoice with you all. He says, for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Still that verse. For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. A couple things I just want to think about as we finish and uh, close this evening. Reflection. Is Christ your life? That's something to think about. If you define your focus, your thoughts, your energy, all that you do into one thing, would you have to insert into there maybe a hobby? We only have one shot, one life. And a hobby is not worthy of that. We were bought with a price. We were purchased. Christ should be our life. Another question. Am I walking in unity with my brothers in Christ and sisters? Am I walking in unity? Is there anything between you and somebody else in here? You and somebody else that you know is a Christian. It may be a relative of yours. It may be somebody in this local church. It may be someone in leadership. It could be a teacher. It could be someone you serve with. Listen, we are all pulling the rope in the same direction, or we should be. It's not about us. It's about the mission. It's all about Christ. Third thing, am I living for Christ energetically? Energetically, working it out. God has given us this energy. And sometimes we just are blah. And I, I'm excited to see what God is going to do. And I'm okay if he starts it right now. Uh, this personal revival that we need. Uh, Pastor Tony has been leading us and he's been preaching the fact that we want to see God indwell us, which he does as we're saved. But we want him to have all of us. And we want to see a working of God where we go out and we see people saved. We're here for Christ. Christ is our life. Christ is our example. Christ is our mission.